point to where ideology, ideology ruptures within uh, the medium. Yeah. Yes, so we're using film, uh, a film each episode to launch a kind of more theoretical discussion rather than a critical or artistical analysis discussion. Yeah. Um, maybe we should just outline again for anybody who's new listening, our second listener or our first listener potentially, <laughs> why you and I um, should or shouldn't have any opinions on this. I mean, what, what do you think doesn't qualify us to be? Well, I mean, what qualifies us is that we have no life and we just really spend a lot of our time looking into these like Freudian ideas. And yeah, Hegelian. we like reading. You and don't have to take our word for us, but you could check it out online and we might not be too far from some kind of truth from it. Yeah, it's interesting because we were talking about this with some friends yesterday about how some of our friends who are kind of public figures um, have over the course of their work come to their understanding of things via like a public discussion so it's almost like you come to your own understanding yeah by just putting it out there <laughs> yeah it's a very complicated field but it's also kind of forgiving because there's a lot of disagreement mm -hmm. into i mean we've talked about drive and desire and uh, the, the real mm -hmm. and there's a lot of disagreement mm -hmm into like what those things mean depending on yeah. what kind of school you're coming from exactly. even within freudianism or, or lacan's theory and all that so you know it's interesting as well because i mean i kind of feel that there are maybe a few basic insights from the kind of the perspective we're working from once those are understood everything kind of falls into place so there's probably quite a lot of repetition in what we're saying but i feel like once those ideas and not necessarily these are just a perspective obviously and we're kind of big into conflict of ideas and think that that's very important so this is just a perspective and it's not necessarily right or wrong but from this perspective yeah there are maybe four or five key insights and when they're grasped sure. the whole kind of vision and understanding of the order of things is yeah. elucidated and then in terms of why are we so interested in film why are you so interested in film well, because particularly films that are within ideology, they they fail at some point, and it's sort of a they're like uh, mistakes that are generative, and they create some kind of uh, window mm -hmm. into how ideology functions for us within capitalism, and that's why I think the medium is like really important because it has these gaps or points where it doesn't completely function in the right way. So it's kind of like aspirationally like a totalizing artwork you know other than we all know that when we look at a picture it's not attempting to capture the world in its fullness yeah. but you yeah, know film potentially as an ambition is a, a world creating medium yeah and, and it's so, a, yeah. and it's really i think it's really interesting because some, you get two different types of mistakes mm -hmm. one's from like i don't know we talked in the first episode about chazelle and la la land and like it, it seems to be like very very uh coherent sort mm -hmm. of film but there are some gaps there, and mm -hmm. we talked about that in the first episode. But there's also kind of like mistakes that are made on purpose, like mm -hmm. in The Shining, where you see the the, hel the helicopter mm -hmm. shadow. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously they caught that in mm -hmm. the, the cutting room or whatever. But you see this these like sort of mistakes that are on purpose, and they're leading towards mm -hmm. something that. So yeah, there there are of. films that point you towards experiencing a rupture, and films that attempt to paper over a rupture but in their papering over yeah. expose it potentially how yes. did how did you start to get interested in film more than just a form of entertainment um yeah, yeah i think i don't think it was because of this mm -hmm. i just really like movies <laughs> actually one of the things that i really like the most is yeah. is the the scores for yeah. movies that's yeah. something yeah. that i've always found very inspiring like mm -hmm. i I remember I had, uh, growing up, a, a vinyl of uh, E.T.'s soundtrack, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that's like one of my favorites. Who composed that? John Williams. Yeah. Um, I still get kind of like, actually, my heart jumps a little bit when I hear yeah. John Williams, even yeah, though maybe well, his style yeah. is kind of, you know, it's a little bit Dated. retro now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, my dad had a CD of John Williams schools we used to listen to in the car. But you are, yeah, you come from a, a musical background, so. Yeah, yeah, and also, I was exposed to pretty horrific films because I, I think that's like probably my favorite genre like sci-fi mm -hmm. and horror mm -hmm. um my dad used to not care so much that i was maybe like eight or nine mm -hmm. and he would you know he would watch 
the the thing mm-hmm. and I, I was just there in but the I room. thought you were like you were from like a really religious background you entered to Latin, in, yeah. lucky charms yes. <laughs> so, I, think, I think sexuality for sure was like a big problem really? but violence was never a problem that's so hilarious I, yeah so that, that's there's a kind of the scapegoat was was sex not yeah, oh, yeah not interesting violence. I have to say I came into film um in a kind of roundabout way because uh, I was very much into learning foreign languages as a young person and as a lazy person I realized that I could just get really good at languages by just watching like five Almodovar movies in a day mm-hmm. and then by dint of so much repetition <laughs> and yeah. also when I was at college I just I did a literary degree but I just have always loved film more than books um and yeah. just it's easier to watch films than sure. books. <laughs> no, I am not... a very lazy person. But yeah, by dint of watching so many thousands of hours of films, you kind of, you know, this is, we're talking about the dialectical no and the non-dialectical no. You kind of, by just immersing yourself in something, you end up in a different place Yeah. Um, within that medium. So yeah, I, I watched films purely for the utilitarian purpose of perfecting my foreign languages. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. then and then just became utterly obsessed and never really had an intention of becoming a filmmaker at all. And suddenly, you know, growing up, it wasn't this. I just would have thought I would have just got a normal job. Um, but it was, yeah, by dint of immersing myself in trying to get good grades in one languages that I yeah. became obsessed with film. So yeah, it was an incredible technology. Yeah. So this theme that we're talking about mm-hmm. of the sort of uh, the generative mistakes in mm-hmm. in films mm-hmm. this particular film is precisely about covering over something that is kind of horrific yeah. within the texture of reality yeah so lynch's work is really interesting and we were just had a little brief discussion before we started in terms of where this rupture lies inside outside is in topologically and you experience because there is kind of a, a disagreement around people who are interested in depth psychology versus psychoanalysis. So depth psychology obviously has like a dimension of underneathness, and there's this kind of cliche understanding of Freud that's like, oh, you have the id, and that's like underneath, and you push it down, you repress. But actually, the rupture isn't just underneath; it's everywhere. And so in this film, we can talk about it a bit more in terms of how we enter into this realm that exposes this kind of grotesque, id-like underbelly of reality. But all of Lynch's work is just like imbued with it. Mm -hmm. This kind of estrangement is through all of it. So the film we're talking about is Blue Velvet, Mm -hmm. which is a, I guess, what kind of genre would you do? Like a neo-noir psychological thriller yeah. Film by Lynch. Yeah. Is it your favorite Lynch film? Maybe it's the most. It's one of the most. Maybe with the exception of like Twin Peaks, but it's one of the most accessible mm-hmm. films that he's done. I mean, because I, my introduction to Lynch was Eraserhead. I've seen it. Really, really weird, very surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that still had some kind of coherence to it because mm-hmm. David Lynch's films are maybe excessively coherent mm-hmm. to the point that it, they become sort of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know this is what you know we were talking about again, this dialectic of by being so coherent, it's incoherent. It's funny, I think I was talking to you about working with, I mean, music videos for musicians. And I've noticed that, well, often, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a trend amongst artists of um, self harm as an artist so wanting to both achieve and not achieve at the same time having fantasy that achieving some great thing as an artist is going to change your life and so taking unconscious steps to not allow yourself to actually achieve i mean this is every human revolves around this kind of lost object and fantasy of whatever it might be but you see it a lot in artists and um almost a tell that somebody is going to be one of these self-destructive artists is that they are so proactive so perfectly hardworking, do everything quote unquote yeah. right but it is in there excessive uh doing things correctly sure that things like over perfectionism taking way too much time over things mm-hmm. uh, making decisions that are rationally the right thing to do but actually really hampering themselves yeah so yeah it's often you know we've talked about this 
a number of times, but often by dint of going so far into a yes or a no, you end up the other side. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think so the the ultimate realm of exes is is dreams. Yeah. And arguably maybe Lynch is like the the director that is very very focused on dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in this film specifically there's this zoom in and you know a lot of critics of, of the film have talked about this but there's a zoom into the texture of a backyard and it starts yeah. getting really really yeah. close until yeah. you find yeah. like this like very noisy underground yeah. of uh where there's a bunch of bugs yeah. and it's just kind of gross and everything uh but what's the, what's the name of the actress the um laura dern yeah. yeah laura dern has this dream yeah. Where there's a bunch of like darkness and yeah. there's nothing going on. And then robins, the yeah. birds represent light. Um, and there's a flurry of, of robins that in, in the dream come and bring light mm-hmm. and, and love and whatever. And at the end, there's the continuity mm-hmm. of, of, of reality is restored mm-hmm. when there's a, there's, a, there's a shot of a robin yeah. that is like eating a beetle. Mm-hmm. Like very clearly mm-hmm. the beetles that start the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the the film ends with this happy ending of just like being able to restore seeing reality in a way that is kind of like covering over something yeah. that is horrible underneath. So yeah, we kind of enter into a realm and then return out of it at the end. But it's funny because we talk about like the grotesque within this realm that Jeffrey enters into via this kind of crime. But the opening, you know, this white picket fence plasticky perfection of these I think there's like firefighters that are going past waving at the camera it's very <laughs> grotesque yeah. and alienating as well so and I don't know if, yeah. you, if you agree with me but I don't think that I mean obviously kind of it's sort of like a coming of age story because these yeah. guys are like yeah. in high school and everything yeah but um I don't think that what triggers the whole thing of uh the coming of age thing mm-hmm. I don't think it's that that Jeffrey has sex with uh, Rosalini, is her name, Isabella, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or that she has this, this that he has this encounter, violent encounter with Frank and his gang. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fact. Like what he's trying to cover over is his father's heart attack, because that happens. At yeah, the so very you, do, you don't think it's necessarily a because basically, yeah, the father is a very, this very impotent figure who's just had a stroke and is in this embarrassing condition in 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 hospital. Yep. And you think that that this the encounter that he has with Frank and the kind of underworld yes. is a covering over of that. Yes. You know why? Not because as soon as the father dies, that's when the camera zoom starts in into the grass. Mm-hmm. As soon as the father has a heart attack, yeah. uh, that's that's what happens. Then he and, I, do, I feel like the... And the it's inc- just one more thing yeah, before no, I forget. Uh, Jeffrey has a car, mm-hmm. but very weird, like he's walking through the field in order to get to the hospital to visit his his father mm-hmm. at the hospital mm-hmm. and that's where he finds the ear yeah. Yeah. uh so i don't know why like he's kind of like exposing himself to like see what he finds because yeah. it literally looks like he's just walking in some so kind you of think like that abandoned the or- field the ear orifice isn't the entry point it's the stroke that's the entry point well it's what it's kind of like the 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 edge of the rupture yeah, I yeah. Guess. yeah. it's interesting because I guess, yeah, the idea of it being a coming-of-age story, obviously, this is a sexual awakening. Um, and there are very kind of Freudian elements to the sexual aspect of his relationship with Rossellini and also with Frank's relationship with Rossellini and also the fact that um, kind of in order to come become a man, Jeffrey kills Frank. Well, not Frank, right? Does he kill Frank? Or does he kill Frank's yeah, associate? At, yeah, at the end. At the end, yeah. So, you know, because in this love triangle, mm-hmm. Frank, Rossellini, Jeffrey, I can't remember what Rossellini's character is called in the film. Donna or something? Sorry, or? Yeah, it begins with a D. Um, you know, that's structurally what happens between the child, the mother and the father. You know, that the the child begins to have this kind of sexual relationship with the mother and then the father has to get in the way in order for the separation to occur between those two characters. And then eventually, yeah. in kind of coming of age, the, the child will kill the father. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And do you think that maybe there's something to do with... Because, like, Frank 
in his whole sexual fantasy he sees mm-hmm. himself as a baby yeah i know this is the funny thing is it is confusing because structurally in that I, I mean there is obviously a multiplicity of things i'm not saying like lynch intended this or lynch intended that but it's it's interesting that there's it happens to be this kind of freudian triangle of the mother rossellini the father frank and then the child jeffrey but then in this really perverse way frank has this um relationship and it's not it's a weird relationship because it's not it's obviously abusive but then it's submissive in the way that he calls her mummy and you know wants things stuffed in his mouth like yeah. a baby i think maybe yeah. the father sort of figured that it's unbearable to him yeah. there's i mean there's interesting few- about um the kinds of people that are potentially into um being submissive yeah and it's often people who in the real life are the complete opposite of that yeah, you know, it's kind of they need some. You think about the kind of the people who go to to dominatrix, the dominatrix. What's the plural of dominatrix? Dominatrixes. Is <laughs> uh, there's this brilliant documentary by Nick Broomfield about um, that follows a it goes in. It's kind of like a year in the life of a dungeon in New York. I think it was filmed in the nineties. It's, mm. it's hilarious. But you know, you know, powerful business people, and there's a character in House of Cards, this Chinese character that's very submissive. It's almost, you know, as a release from the tension of having to be in control of everything in one's yeah. real life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so potentially there's something to that, that he's this uh, gang boss, this yeah. Yeah, criminal. Yeah, mastermind. I mean, I think definitely like his fantasy of wanting to be a baby is really kind of covering over his, his own reality. Mm-hmm. Same thing happens with, um, what's the name of Laura Dern's character? Sandy. Sandy, yeah. Sandy, um... Mm-hmm. It's she. She finds out that you know Jeffrey slept with mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dorothy, mm-hmm. and Im- almost immediately after, she kind of just like wants to repress that, mm-hmm. and then calls him and tells him like, "I forgive you mm-hmm. and I love you and let's let's just like keep on going." And uh, the same thing happens with Frank. I think that he wants to like disavow himself from mm-hmm. this whole title of like the father or some kind of like really authoritative fi- mm-hmm. figure. And I mean, I, a few other like I don't. I've heard you like, talk about this a little bit of like you know the the pathetic act of anger uh, that he it just kind of like ruptures his his whole idea of of being in control of things. Uh-huh. Like really, it's just an outburst of impotence. Mm-hmm. Um, but it happens also in the car when they go for the joyride mm-hmm. and they're about to leave Jeffrey. They just like beat him up and dump him mm-hmm. in this in this like factory or something. Um, when Jeffrey hits uh, uh, Frank mm-hmm. in the face, like you could see that like he's really afraid for mm-hmm. himself, and he has to ask the his minion is to like get him out of the car and everything. But like his voice breaks and mm-hmm. everything, and it's just like it seems to me like it, there's this like sort of unbearable weight that that mm-hmm. he wants to get rid of, mm-hmm. and I think he covers over this sort of uh, intolerable pain by using like really nice kind of like Ray, Roy Orbison like mm-hmm. jazz music in order like as an aggregate to mm-hmm. you know whatever violent things that he's doing so you're talking about kind of this as as humans we experience excess and various uh well in in our lives and in various ways we try to paper over it and it's often kind of counterintuitive so I was just thinking about when you're dating and you are, say, texting back and forth with the guy and you're waiting for his response and you have this kind of excessive, like, oh, is he going to text me back? What does he, he think of what I said? Or will he phone me? Or is he thinking about me? And in order to get rid of that, we want the reply. But the pleasurable thing is that very, ah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we want to paper it over. You know, it's, it's unbearable. And I think we were talking about this in terms of people who have... Um, ecstatic experiences or like divine experiences and we were talking to a friend recently who had had a number of what he would call miraculous miraculous experiences and he's you know quite a believer well i wouldn't say evangelical christmas quite a believer but it's almost like we look for belief systems often when this has happened to us in order to explain it because we don't want to experience that again even though we'll kind of glorify this divine moment as some point fantastical point of 
insight or change in our lives but it's a change that directs us to quelling it with some kind of rational structure i think i told you about an exam result i got and as a result of it that i just couldn't believe and a series of weird contingencies that resulted in this mark i turned i became like a Jungian for about a year yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but yes we basically we see all these points of excess in uh blue velvet and immediately after there's a papering over of it. I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, you know. Sure. Um, even though the thing that really would generate the desire for someone like Sandy is seeing that Jeffrey has been with another woman. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing, we talked about this before, about repression and how, you know, it generates reality anyway. And the more that you try to get away from your repressions... Mm-hmm. Does it work maybe like a, some kind of like... I mean, the first time that you have drugs... Mm-hmm really you you experience this like almost like climactic uh, uh, escape mm-hmm. from life but it's never the same after that mm-hmm. you know that's why people need like larger doses in mm-hmm. order to be able to experience like the uncovering over and over again mm-hmm. do you think that maybe this is one of the reasons why frank sort of has like this very violent outburst when the lip sync is not perfect yeah the, so the lip sync thing is is funny because it's such a odd scene and lip syncing by definition is such like odd thing yeah air guitar and it's funny isn't it i don't know if this is true but apparently a lot of like mulholland drive was like redubbed to look fake Mm -hmm. it's funny you know this sound and vision a kind of a lack of melding you mean the sound yeah so some of the dialogue in the scenes of mulholland drive is like unnecessarily dubbed yeah. to make it look like odd yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i just, just interesting, like lip syncing and and yes yeah, so it's kind of this alienation um it's funny we've talked a lot about uh, for a project that we're gonna adrian and i are making later this year we're looking at kind of a, a theme of repetition and how repetition can you know this mechanical nature of a person when you see something or an action taken over and over and over again you become like completely alienated from it and it becomes like is this a person like saying a word over saying a word over and over you end up hearing like a sound and it's it's like profoundly like disturbing Mm -hmm. so having like a separation of sound and speech i don't know there's something like weirdly mechanical off and off-putting about it i don't know and lip syncing is just such a strange thing because it's like yeah you know it's not real and something very comedic about it yeah but i think that trying to get away from your repressions because mm-hmm. frank i think oh, right, might yeah. seem like a very very excessive person mm-hmm. that is trying to like make public his fantasies mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he has no problem just like yeah. being very sexual yeah like in front of his friends and mm-hmm. just like to intimidate and all that mm-hmm. so he obviously needs like a higher dose of, <laughs> which comes up in, okay, in this yeah, whole yeah, jazz yeah, thing yeah, yeah, and yeah. that it when i'm not sure that he he's he gets into the trance and think he's completely yeah. aware that yeah. it's like this discontinuous like almost very pathetic sort of a cover over but yeah like when when he sees that the it's kind of out of sync mm-hmm. uh the the the, the lip sync thing is mm-hmm. like he has this outburst and it's interesting because in blade runner mm-hmm. the 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 fact that there's a phasing issue between the hologram mm-hmm. and, the, and, and the and and the real woman mm-hmm. is not a problem. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the fact that the the covering over is is uh, it has mistakes in, within itself? Mm-hmm. Does that help or is that bad? As in, does it does it a person maybe experience like some you, kind of psychotic break if they see the? Yeah, I don't think so. I think that people are aware that their fantasies or the, the texture of reality yeah. that covers over the real is like. I think we're all aware that it's kind of incomplete and it it you know, it yeah. doesn't fully cover anything. But that's maybe that's the way that it's supposed to work, and that's why it works. Interesting. I'll have to give that deeper thought. But there's definitely. I mean. I've definitely experienced like lilting points as a person where, you know, it's like deja vu and things like that. And you kind of feel the whole texture of the world slightly shifting. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It's kind of what I would, I'm not saying it's like some fainting moment, like in in Blue Velvet with Frank when he experiences the imperfect lip syncing. But yeah, there's definitely something about an imminence of the real when, when, when the narrative doesn't, 
But it's funny because we're talking, you know, you're talking about, you know, the almost being aware of the impotence of the fantasy and like the inconsistencies. We are aware of it. And almost the overly perfect narrative structure of Lynch, this over-rationalization, as in too perfect fantastical structure, is alienating as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I, the, so I'm staying at an Airbnb mm-hmm. two, three minutes from here. And I, I went up to, to, to the room the first night and I saw that over the bed was a dream catcher. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like what's supposed to like scare away like nightmares mm-hmm. or something like that um or catch them i guess and keep them there i don't know um but it's interesting that in the movie jeffrey's having some sort of nightmare mm-hmm. and he doesn't have a dream catcher in his wall he has this very weird i don't know if you saw it it's like a mouth it almost looks like a zombie's yeah, mouth that is just yeah. like over his mm-hmm. bed i don't know if he's sort of like welcoming and maybe this this goes back to like the the, the coming of age thing, but he's welcoming sort of like nightmares into his into his life because he has a very sort of weird drive to want to be close to danger. Like I mean, it's his idea immediately that he wants to break into the into mm-hmm. the apartment. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he wants to like mm-hmm. uh, gain the approval of uh, Sandy's father, mm-hmm. but he's he he obviously has like this death drive to like want to be close to danger and yeah do, i don't know what that's to do with the impotent father you know mm-hmm. it's kind of like i'm going to be so dangerous and i'm going to be like, so dangerous i'm going to be so I don't know, <laughs> like you know um inviting him to be protected but you know as in like the further he goes into danger the more the kind of demand goes high i don't know yeah i don't know but it's funny i the whole bug and insect thing the fact that he he poses as a as a um, an exterminator of like, and then the opening scene with the kind of beetles under the grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's inter- something interesting about insects. But I don't know if you're. Yeah, I'm. I'm not saying that the mouth is just like you know casually mm-hmm. in the room. No, like it's literally over his bed, bed and it's the yeah. only thing that you see. And there's a zoom into it and everything. So I don't I know. Can't I believe my phone. It's like, a, like that. it's almost like a perverse dream catcher. Or yeah, something like yeah. That. I mean, it's definitely a little perversion in the film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very graphic. Yeah. What What about? Do you have a, an opinion of um, Mulholland Drive? I actually don't remember Mulholland Drive very well. Mm-hmm. It's been quite a few years since mm-hmm. I saw it, but we should probably talk about that at some point. Well, at some point, no, it's funny. I have to say, I first watched Mulholland Drive when I was like maybe twelve or thirteen, and uh, it's probably yeah, twelve or something. And I had a um, a sleepover with some friends and we were going to watch it, some VHS probably was at that stage uh, in my parents' house and we thought oh let's watch something cool that looks like a great Hollywood movie and Marlon <laughs> Drive looked like that <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then just watching it being like what the fuck am I watching <laughs> um, yeah no it was just interesting about the idea of fantasy the impotence of fantasy the two dimensionality of fantasy mm. how fan- it, how fantasy functions yeah. but maybe we should we'll do a whole separate episode about that yeah yeah i'm just going to recheck my list of ideas i made notes before we started so yeah do you have do you have any um any uh any thoughts about this idea of um the location the geographical location of the id the ego and the superego mm-hmm. well and, t- tell me a little bit more well is it so our friend peter was got into this really long i mean it's absolutely fantastic about three weeks ago, um, debate with somebody who had watched, he did a talk about um, criticizing, well, engaging with and critiquing in the word of work of our favorite person, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> and um, basically, you know, the main difference being that uh, a Jungian like uh, Peterson sees the unconscious as a compensatory mechanism and Freud and Lacan see it as a rupture. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between psychoanalysis and depth psychology. They're like two very different things. And somebody in the in the comments section of this YouTube video got really riled up about this idea that the unconscious isn't located underneath. And so he went on this extreme rant about how Peter didn't know what he was talking about and how Freud is very topological and it is an underneathness and that's why it's depth psychology. And, and this, there's a whole website now dedicated to this debate. It's yeah. went on and on and on and on and on. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, I feel like 
in received wisdom of Freud is, oh, well, you have the ego up there, uh, sorry, the ego in the middle, the superego up there and the id underneath. Yeah. And that typical depictions of repression are very much like pushing things down then they burst up again. And then you have this uh, ego kind of mediating between a superego up there and an id down there. But that in reality, it's much more kind of within one parallel. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, and we talked about this, about the real uh, being sort of imminent to mm-hmm. the imaginary. Yeah. And it's not experienced as a thing. It's experienced as a sort of absence that mm-hmm. warps reality. Yeah, exactly. Rather um, than a, like... So the only reason why I raise it is this film is very much like going into a criminal underworld, entering in via this orifice of the ear, like with... It's almost like that's a gateway in. Or you talk about a mouth, like a gateway in. Um the opening shot is of this perfect suburban street and then going down into the grass and into these kind of like disgusting beetles underneath. Um, And so it's just interesting that I felt like when I watched that, I was a little bit like, oh, I don't know really if that's how repression works or that's how the id works. But actually it's just funny, within the whole film itself, like the parallel of the texture of the film, the surface of the film, all of that is within is within anyway, it yeah. yeah so it's just it's just interesting this kind of like um topological thing is a big debate point a big point of um difference yeah for certain perspectives on kind of the i would well i would say psychoanalysis i could be wrong is proper psychoanalysis proper is not topological but. yeah and that's one of the things that i think that's one of the reasons why people have a hard time really accepting a lot of freud's uh, theories mm-hmm. and it's because they misunderstand him as sort of pointing towards something that is beyond our knowledge mm-hmm. or beyond our understanding. And I don't think that was Freud's point at all. No. It was definitely something that is, is within what we know, but that we're repressing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think the the movie is is a great example of, mm-hmm. of that. No, absolutely. And... Um yeah, when we when we talk about repression and overcoming, it's, you know, within the word itself, you've got the pressing down repression. It's not, it's it's more like it's almost like an ignoring rather than like a non-acknowledgement rather than a repression. Yeah, and obviously, you know, when um, people have symptoms within their body, and there's this idea that the id is to do with like the body and drive and and kind of more visceral aspects of what it is to be a human being. Mm. But yeah, within the way that we experience reality, that isn't necessarily something underneath. Yeah. It is within. Yeah. And the place in which things stop to stop working, Mm -hmm. where the continuity is sort of like, discontinuity is sort of discovered, is uh, I think in dreams and Mm -hmm. in our fantasies and in the way that we generate sort of what we think can take us to transcendence or mm-hmm. to to get to a place where we can believe it completely mm-hmm. and it always it never fails to fail uh, so are you talking about dream or dream is in what happens when you close your eyes rather than fantasy no no i'm talking fantasy fantasy yeah because it's interesting that dream the word dream has been co-opted to mean you know i dream you know <laughs> i hope that one day da, 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 da. when dreams are really horrendous act the actual thing that happens when you're asleep and you close your eyes yeah but it's funny that the dream the word dream in a non-sleep dimension means you know escaping yeah, yeah. and the i think of the yeah the, and isn't that thing. like i mean I, i've heard tad delay talk about this of like how the body desires uh stasis like doesn't mm-hmm. want change and actually i mean i've been I've been to analysis for almost a couple of years and like, you know, I used to think, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to discover things about myself that I don't know mm-hmm. and this is going to be great and whatever. And it doesn't work like that at all, obviously. The only thing that happens is that your dreams start to get really freaking weird. Um, That's really, I have never gone to psychoanalysis proper because I can't afford it. But <laughs> <laughs> you, you bought us so-and-so, but... um. My, I have such intense dreams that I can't even fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Like I have insomnia that prevents me from experiencing the intensity. My, my dreams are so intense. Yeah. And have you feel that psychoanalysis has done that? Has yeah, made- because the more that you try to sort of point your attention to the ruptures within yeah. the way that you experience life, um, 
I think that your fantasies sort of start to get scrambled mm -hmm. and you get all these like weird sort of like things start to get connected that weren't connected before in dreams okay and yeah. so you have these like obviously very weird sex yeah. dreams and like <laughs> just like nightmares that, that don't make any sense at all yeah. but and you know what happens actually like Miles is always telling me like so have you dreamt lately and I'm like yeah, yeah I dream all the time yeah. but I don't remember really do you know any what? of them do you ever jot it down when you wake up oh my god I don't have the power yeah. I, I don't have like the it's always funny I sometimes wonder like I do write down my dreams when they I feel like they're significant but then I wonder whether I am uh, logically making sense out of it when I'm writing because yes. it's not necessarily about yeah making sense making some kind of narratival sense. Yeah. But we were talking about how one thing that I think is interesting that Lynch does all these things, explores all these things in the narrative medium. I love the narrative medium. It's this completely arbitrary, like overly logical system. But that's how we experience life when we're awake. Mm -hmm. We overly logic logicify. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We turn logical things in order to be able to cope with them and then yeah the, the dream is just this it's funny that you say things are like become amalgamated you often get like th several scenes or several times in your life that are constructed together say like in a house i remember i had um, a dream recently about boarding school and i went to different boarding schools but the, the school that i was at in my dream was this amalgamation of everything there at the same time yeah this kind of crushing of temporality yeah i think that maybe Lynch is very aware of this, like the way that dreams work in order to cover over over something. And it's, have you seen the... Dream or fantasy work to cover over something? Well, I think maybe both. I mean, okay. they're, they're kind of interlinked. But yeah. uh, Lynch, I don't know if you saw the documentary that they made. I think maybe he made it about himself. or Well, it's like very much in his style. But mm -hmm. he talks about some experiences that he had as, as a kid. Mm-hmm and very sort of extreme like mm -hmm. you know it's kind of seen like a naked woman that was like mm -hmm. in his neighborhood and just like looking at her and i'm not sure if there was some kind of interaction there mm -hmm. but i don't know it's just like i think that he thinks through the coherence and incoherence of dreams mm -hmm. and that's maybe why mm -hmm. his films are like eerily sort of like they're very very logical mm -hmm. Um, it's like, interesting that he this film is almost like a procedural like a crime procedural where it's like this happens then he finds this clue like the, the, the detective genre is like the most logical genre where you have a certain reveal or clue that leads to another action and this cascade of facts that lead to an insight at the end and yeah it's interesting yeah. that Blue Velvet has that kind of structure to it yeah he's obviously well actually I mean I don't know but he's he he seems like maybe he's kind of psychotic but uh his <laughs> his his mom he told a story about how his mom mm -hmm. I'm not sure if she was an artist but she was buying like a bunch of like coloring books for all his mm -hmm. all his kids and he has like brothers or whatever and then his mom specifically told him I'm not gonna buy your coloring books like he just gave them gave mm -hmm. him like blank pieces of paper mm -hmm. and just colors mm -hmm. so he was like if i if i give you a piece of paper that has like an outline that you can mm -hmm. just color in i'm gonna repress your your talent yeah. or your creativity that's interesting so i think that you know and that's kind of sad but at the same time he's like he said that he he's obviously indebted to his mom for making those types yeah. of decisions that would but it's funny yeah we were talking about um creativity in borders and kind of uh arbitrary points of order in order to create a work of art so I, yeah i wonder whether um not having the lines to color in a color in make him more kind of formally obsessive exactly. in yeah. his own work kind of having to impose those borders exactly yeah. and it's often you know like the psychotic in a lacanian sense often is um obsessed with uh i use the word obsessed and obsessive is obviously a neurotic but it's almost overly obsessed with certainty yeah and clarity and absolutes yeah which well he's to do with, yeah know, he he got into creating sort of the lines that were missing from the page mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly mm. what do you think about his um interest in transcendental meditation oh man <laughs> i it, don't know mm -hmm. much about it but i've read one of my friends has his, his book that mm -hmm. he wrote I, it has like a weird it has a weird title i forgot but you know, it's about oh yeah, yeah, I can't remember the title. Something about yeah, fish or yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I don't. 
I, I can see why probably he's attracted to this kind of thing mm-hmm. because it's very. I don't. I, I mean, I just don't see it. I mean, I I know a lot of people that just mm-hmm. like have this desire to want to like. I was talking to a friend the other day, and and he was telling me how he grew up kind of like in an evangelical place mm-hmm. and everything, and he was telling me like, you know what, I hadn't seen him in a while, and he was like talking about his transformation. He was like, I don't really believe in mm-hmm. in hell anymore. I don't believe in sin. I don't believe in. Um, I don't believe in heaven. You know, none of this stuff. And it's like, but I still believe in God. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, the rest will fall exactly where it's, it's meant to, to because yeah. you're, you're keeping you like the the, yeah. the most the functional linchpin. core. Yeah. That is just like you're not really getting rid of anything. You're just getting yeah. rid of like I don't know, just like, like col- the decorations, col- like the the nail varnish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like like unimportant parallels. Yeah, exactly. and, um, he the ornaments. I don't know. Some people, I think that they transpose their belief systems mm-hmm. into like unknown territory, but keep yeah. sort of like an operation. Sorry, the same formation. I'm not sure. Like the form changes, mm-hmm. but I think the kernel is the same. Just yeah, like, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because, like anything, anything can be unhealthy or healthy. So the idea of transcendental meditation, it's like, well, yeah, if you're just just want to do it great if you it might help you enter into the kind of the, the reality of your life you might it might help you kind of reflect on things in a in a in a way that perhaps gives you clarity as to the condition of your life it might help you relax but the idea that it is a transcendent well it has the word transcendental in it but a a practice that will bring about some kind of astronomical change yeah i think you know, when it has that texture to it. Because a lot of people use, have co-opted in capitalism, um, Eastern, quote-unquote, Eastern forms of, quote-unquote, spirituality. So um, certain forms of meditation that help you relax or you only need to do four hours sleep and then meditate for two hours, an hour, and you've made up X amount of sleep so you're a more productive person in society, in the capitalist society, or using meditation as a way to refresh yourself to be a better worker. I see... Loads of women myself, my age are into um, self-care. It's like, yeah, self-care is great. Yeah, have a bath, great. But like, if you're using it as a way to make yourself a prettier, more relaxed, more uh, amenable member of the capitalist system, then it's fundamentally yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I, it might be because of my structure or whatever, but I, I, I couldn't do it. What like meditation? I was I was actually talking to to somebody about this mm-hmm. yesterday, and I was like, uh, "Do you meditate?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "I can't do it." I, well, you I don't want to confront what's underneath. No, it just reminds me too much mm-hmm. of like, oh yeah, for like, like just like yeah. the dysfunctional function, the dysfunctional act for me as a kid mm-hmm. that made me feel completely alienated from mm-hmm. the rest of my friends and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, now that I'm older, I just realized like everybody was in the same position mm-hmm. as me, probably, but. I couldn't pray. I didn't feel anything at all. Mm-hmm. And I would see other people, you know, just like really getting into it and being like passionate about it. And uh, I just don't have the drive yeah. to cover over it. Because yeah. I, I know a lot of people that probably, you know, just put on an act. Yeah. Just so that they could believe it themselves, yeah. Uh, yeah. even if they didn't really feel it. But I've never been good at doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, maybe I'm missing something. Because yeah. like, I don't know much about transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. But... Is it kind of, what is it? It's just like an extra, well, like you subtract yourself from reality? Or? I used to do quite a lot of meditation when I was at Jungian. And this is the thing is, again, I don't want to like hate on Jung so much, but as in, it, it's just a, that's a form that can, can work for some people or not. And some people need certain insights at certain points of their life and points of order and stuff. But I kind of, it kind of worked for me when I believed in it. And when I didn't believe, as in like, oh, it was going to help me I don't know, be more clear about my life or help me have insights into the real, the real order of things. But then when I realized like it didn't or that that was just kind of a lie, it's almost like I think neurologically there's probably some dopamine release or something like that. But then I feel like when you realize that there is a rupture at the center of everything, you don't not have dopamine all the time, I think. Yeah. You don't need... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, you're like happy in the now, so you don't need any kind of external thing to give you that. Mm-hmm. You don't need some like you don't need some really complicated, elaborate sort of 
structural thing that you invent to give you the feeling you just have the feeling all the time yeah 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 this is a phrase that i got from you because i i hadn't i haven't heard it too much before but it's just like i i can't be bothered oh really i can't be bothered to just like act (laughs) do you not use that i was such a can't be bothered person yeah yeah (laughs) lazy (laughs) no but i couldn't do it and I, maybe even for me, like, this is why I can't remember my dreams. I just, like, mm. it's difficult for me to just, like, oh, get right, into yeah, the whole... Well, it's true. I mean, it's, like, it's both useful, insightful, and not. Like, who cares? Yeah. I mean, this is the funny thing with with Lynch, because I do find his films, like, profoundly Freudian and insightful. But then the transcendental meditation thing, I'm like, mm, how does that work? I don't know. It seems yeah. like that's kind of a... That's kind of a total... I'm not saying that his interpretation of it is, but... In wider society, it tends to be it. You know, it's been co-opted by religions of like New Age religions. Um, yes, there's one thing I also wanted to talk about. I don't know if this ties in, but uh, Zizek was going to debate uh, Jordan Peterson, just talking about <laughs> totalizing religions and ordering the chaos rather than living in the chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and having 12 rules for your life and tidying your room and things like that and <laughs> meditating and I don't know what. We should go. He's not doing it anymore. Oh, okay. GJ's not doing it anymore. Wait, since when? I think he read 12 Rules for Life and he's just like, I'm sorry, no. I'm sorry, no. But I, okay, well, Jordan Peterson said maybe two, three weeks ago. I think it was the other day. Yeah. Like GJ said, I can deal with the like sexism, I can deal with the sort of racism, but I just, the young, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I know it would be the things I was actually kind of worried because Peterson's a very good debater. Well, he's just like, he's very angry. So. Well, he's very, he has a certain certainty. And yeah. you see this with a lot of, again, I don't want to, I don't want to. I kind of see conservatives and liberals as like two sides of the same coin. So when you see like an SJW debating a conservative, it's like they're just like punching themselves really because it's all coming out of the same structure. Um, But the conservative debaters, people like Ben Shapiro, are very good debaters because they they, they... they, it's it's hard to explain, but they have all these kind of givens within there. I think, and, it's... and you can't really, when you come from a continental perspective, you can't really debate that because there are certain givens that they're talking about that are just not even raised. So a very clever person can appear to be losing. Like Peter debated Lawrence Krauss, and Lawrence Krauss hadn't read any of Peter's work, and it was kind of like this profound clash of misunderstandings whereby Krauss had not done the work of learning what Peter was talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think from my perspective, you if you share that kind of more continental perspective, it was like clear that Peter won, but it was kind of embarrassing. And I was just worried that it would appear to certain people that Zizek had lost. The comments, <laughs> yeah, the comments in the video are interesting. Um, I don't think Wh- that which be- which which video the debate with Lawrence Krauss. Oh yeah, I don't think that people were like very dismissive of what Pete was doing. Actually, there was like a very mm-hmm. interesting comments of people that yeah. were there to see Lawrence Krauss. Yeah, yeah. But being like, okay, actually, this guy yeah, has something, something to say, say something yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think Lawrence Krauss was just like an automatic. He was just doing the same thing that he would have done with, with a rabbi yeah, yeah. or some kind of like fundamentalist yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting I saw this um, Sam Harris versus Deepak Chopra quote unquote debate and it was (laughs) funny Deepak Chopra is so weird all of these things emerged these kind of insights they had and they're like well why do we why do we um, if God doesn't exist then why do we want to but you know it's like really old school apologetic I mean that's like the old I I can't I don't actually know that much about theology but somebody you know this well there's a god-shaped hole you know it's like this has been answered so many times Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) you know it's just so disappointing this is why just i'm really sad that shijek's been sick and stuff because i really think that he has such important things to say that his stance is so important and honestly he's like the only person doing it and we do have insights that can make profound change happen in society but we're just not hearing it. I do think that Alan Kozabanjic is kind of yeah. stepping up to the... What, how do you say? The plate? Yeah, the plate, right? Plate. That's weird. Yeah. Anyway. I uh, think isn't that, isn't that like baseball terminology or something? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't maybe know it's cuisine. Baseball. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I think she's doing a good job of just kind of like carrying the mantle of that. Mm-hmm. And, and she, like I said, said a bunch of times, it's like, you know, she's in charge now. 
Yeah. And really, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And also Joan Kopiak. Yeah. She's doing a good job of just kind of like following through the thread of like the, yeah. the form of thought of uh, of Zizek. Zizek is so um, so charismatic and funny and likable that he's such a good delivery mechanism. Yeah. 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 Um, actually, you put me through the most painfully hilarious. I don't know half an hour of my life when you send me this uh, video of Zizek being I don't know if it was in discussion with a an interpretative dancer in the same room in the same yeah, room yeah. and um Zizek basically said that it was as bad as you know anti-semitic pogrom um <laughs> ideology yeah uh this kind of Oh, as long as I'm at one with myself dancing, I recommend watching it. It is. We should put the link. Yeah, we yeah. should put the link. But it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a woman that does like interpretive dance, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is really funny to see. I mean, yeah. it's not somewhere that you see someone like Zizek get into. Mm-hmm. I think that it was a because I think it was a Christian college. Yeah, it's this very cool, were... very cool nun who's like written loads of fiction. I can't remember her name. She set it up. It's yeah. like, how do we experience the divine or something? Yeah. Yeah. How do we make the divine rational or mm-hmm. something like rationalizing the yeah, divine? Explain it, but yeah. I think maybe most mostly was like, a, how do other people see Christianity mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. religion? Mm-hmm. And the woman was giving like her take and then mm-hmm. she's like his. Yeah. 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 No, it was interesting. But uh, <laughs> yes, this great quote, Sally Potter in her film, The Party, scratch an aromatherapist and you find a fascist. Yeah. yeah any kind of totalizing explanation for things. Um, it's by definition kind of fascistic anyway yeah. all right let's end it there um until next time all right goodbye bye